I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. All right, Two Average Girls coming to you from the island of Kauai. Aloha. Ah, we took the podcast on the road this week. I had to bring my mic and my mic cord and everything. Of <laughs> mic cord will travel. Uh, today joining us is a very special guest. We're so excited to have her with us. Kelly is a friend and a neighbor of ours here on Kauai, but she's also led a very interesting life. She's looking at me very skeptically. Uh, Kelly is a retired police officer from Las Vegas Metro who now lives permanently here on the island of Kauai. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. We're glad to have you with us. It's nice to be surrounded by two average girls. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kelly, how long did you work for Metro? I retired with 25 years. Why did you go into it? I you'll see pictures on our Instagram of Kelly. Kelly is a petite lady. She doesn't look like um, someone who would break down the door and be like super imposing. But then you get to know Kelly, and at you, I would be fearful if you broke through my door and <laughs> gun holstered or not. So, what made you go into law enforcement? You know, I I, I wasn't one of those kids that grew up thinking I want to be a police officer, like my husband. And I had some friends that were new out of the academy. And when you're new out of the academy and everything's exciting and you're working graveyard, the stories that you have to tell are pretty awesome. And they were friends of ours and we would sit around and they, I would listen to their stories and I was like, that is, that sounds like fun. Like every day is different. It's not the same thing over and over, which is what my job was at the time. And I love the excitement of it. And I asked them if I could go on a ride with them during their shift. And a ride along at the time was what you could do to find out if that's what you wanted to do in law enforcement. And I was hooked. Really? I was hooked. The first time we rolled code, which is lights and siren down the road, I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. What did they do? What What was the call? Do you remember? I don't remember. <laughs> I have no idea. I just like the word rolled code. Yeah. Like, yeah. Lights and siren. You're just going super fast and cars are like, it's like the parting of the seas. Like, cars are getting out of the way for you and you're getting there really fast to go help someone. It was really, it was pretty cool. It was exciting. And it, it really was an amazing career. I really got lucky to be in a position where I was guided into a pretty amazing career. You went to the police academy, I presume. Is that what it is? I did. Okay. How long did that take? That was about four months. How hard was it? It was hard. Yeah. It it was really hard. It was a lot of studying. Everything had to be precise when you did your inspection. If you had a hair out of place, if you had a string on your uniform that was sticking out. If you had dust in the barrel of your gun, you were doing push-ups. Oh, no. Or you were running, or you were writing reports on why that shouldn't happen. Oh, my gosh. Um, What about the physical aspect of it? It's kind of a boot camp, I It is. It absolutely is. It was very grueling, and it was a lot of physical training, but I knew this is what I wanted. And I was like, I'm getting through this one way or another. I don't care how hard it is. This is what I'm going to do. How? So I pushed myself. How many women were in the academy with you at the time? I'm going to guess and say there was probably about 20 of us. How how and big was your class? It was about 60, a 60-person 60 academy. Okay. Wow. And how many finished? Did all 20 finish? All the women, yes. 
Nice. Yes. Nice. There might have been a couple throughout the entire academy that that dropped um, either physically. I think there was someone that got injured and couldn't finish. And then academically, I think there was maybe one or two. Because you have to pass tests along the way. Yeah. There's scenarios that they do where officers will volunteer at the academy and put together a scenario and you have to pass each scenario. Do you see anything that could change or that you think needs to happen or is it just the fact that it's been blown up so far out of proportion that these guys are all doing a great job, most of them, and we just see the bad ones? I think that's exactly what it is. I. I feel that the majority of police officers are out there to do a good job and to do what's right for the public, for the community, for their department. And in every profession, you're going to have people who do something wrong or make the business, the company, the community look bad. And it's so unfortunate that all officers are given a black eye for what a few do. And I, I really think it would be so much better for the community if they really understood what goes through the mind of an officer because they'll get pissed off if an officer says, take your hands out of your pockets. And they're like, what? I'm, I'm just getting my phone. Or there's <laughs> nothing in my pockets. And it's they don't understand that there's a reason why we're telling them, get your hands out of the pockets is because we don't know you and we want to know that we're safe because there are people out there that do have bad intentions and so it's just common nature to treat everybody the same for the overall safety of everybody and so a lot of times they just don't understand why officers ask the questions they ask or do the things that they do but I think a lot of it also is the way that the officer might present some of their replies and questions to everybody because not everybody is the same and I think it's a learning experience for everybody because officers can learn to deal with the community in a way that gets them to understand what their how difficult their job is and if the community understood how hard it is to be a police officer then I think the two would work a lot better together instead of just saying, oh, cops are assholes because yeah. they sit on people's necks or they choke up the handcuffs and twist their arms and, and beat the crap out of them just because of the color of their skin because that's yeah. not true. That honestly is just not true in my eyes. I don't see it. Unfortunately, that's all we see, though. You know, that's that's what makes the news, is Absolutely. what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the only thing that's glorified. Right. You're not seeing the officer that's out there delivering a baby. Mm-mm. You're not seeing the officer that is entering a dark home because there's a burglar and the family's tied up in the back and they're trying to help those people. You do not get those stories glorified because that's just their job. Yeah. That's just what they do. But you, so what was your undercover work in Las Vegas? I was a prostitute. <laughs> yes! And there's our pull quote. <laughs> My mic's trying to get away. So you, you worked undercover as a prostitute, because I think anybody knows, who knows anything about Las Vegas, you know, the, 
when when your motto is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know, a lot of bad things are probably going down. And prostitution's got to be a huge part of that. So you you were tell us. I can't even I can't even intro it. You just have to dive in. What did you do? So to get started in it, I was actually at the jail one night booking somebody and there were some vice officers in there and I was what you could say is fresh bait. What does that mean? (laughs) Because I was a new officer and they need new faces to put out on the streets because these guys would be familiar with the same face all the time. Sure. So I was fresh bait. And they asked me if I had ever done any undercover work and I said no and they said, would you like to? And I asked them what it was and they told me and I was like, all right, sure, why not? And within a week, I was out on the street. They were like ready to roll. I mean, they probably did a couple sting reversals. What every does that week. mean? What sting <laughs> reversal? What's that? Yeah, where you were a prostitute, you went undercover, and so what I learned is, it's not a pretty woman prostitute. I was not that nice looking. In fact, when I first went out, I had guys that would pull up and refuse service from me because I looked too clean. Did they oh. think you think they knew that you were a cop or they they weren't, d- they weren't sure and they weren't willing to try. Okay. So you'd have to try to talk them into it. So I, I had to learn a little bit more about lingo and then because it's Las Vegas, there's stores in town for theater stuff. So yeah. I went to a costume and theater store and I bought some makeup that allowed me to give myself a black eye no and bruises and i also bought this liquid stuff Mm. that i brushed on my teeth that made my teeth look yellow oh because they would tell me your your teeth are too clean you're yeah because they were drug addicted street whores that didn't look clean Mm -hmm. so i made myself look dirty and dingy and tried to fit in the best that I could and it worked were you married when this happened I was not I was single this is pretty early on in your career at Metro very beginning of my career very beginning they just decided to use you as bait yep okay Fresh, fresh bait fresh bait so the teeth are yellow you got the makeup then then what happens so I walked the streets and do you, are you all mic'd up? Are I, you? I am. They had a, which they don't use these anymore because it's very old school, uh, a pager oh, that no. was mic'd. It was only one way. They could hear me. I could not hear them. Got it. But I knew where my partners were because they were parked in cars around the motel that I was just walking along the street. So. Were I'm, you nervous? Uh, the, first the first few time. times, yeah, I was kind of nervous. And then once you got used to it, it, it was actually kind of fun. I really liked it. It was enjoyable. It was all overtime, too. Oh, oh it was? <laughs> yeah. It was all overtime. So I did that for a year and a half and saved up a lot of money. Yeah, you did. So you were you alone as far as other sex workers? Or were there, there other ladies that were actual sex workers kind of with you? Nope. You were, uh, so you were by yourself. This was your area. It was just me. Okay. It was just me. My partners were watching, and so a a John would pull up, and they would tell me what they were looking for, mm-hmm. and I would give them the price. 
So you had set prices? Or yes. Are you, you're, are you yes. putting on a little laminated? And I can haggle if I want to like, haggle. It's like when you go to the <laughs> nail shop and they say, what kind of one do you like? <laughs> <laughs> so you you had prices for sort of, you know, just any, any anything and anything they could Sex, ask for. Blow d- whatever they wanted. Yes. Okay. Oh, you had prices for that. Okay. Half and half. Sure. There's a half and half? Yeah, you can have half oh. and sex <laughs> and I don't think that's this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> wow. So you'd, you'd, you'd establish a price? I'm just logistically trying to... And then they pull into the motel, park their car? Yes. So once the deal is confirmed, yes, they tell me what they want. I've given them the price. They've agreed to the price. I tell them I have a room right here at this motel. Mm-hmm. And... They pull into the parking lot. I walk into the room. They follow me in. I tell them I'm going to go freshen up. And then my partners come out come of the bathroom. take him in custody. I've seen that on TV before. So they're waiting in the bathroom. There are two waiting in the bathroom. And then the few that are out on the street, a couple of them will come inside if necessary. But a lot of times it's not necessary. Is okay. At what point does it become a crime? At the exchange of money, or just the asking? What? When there is it? no exchange of money. Once they ask what they, if I'm offering what they want, yeah, and they agree to the price, then the crime has been committed. Okay, it's not when you get into the hotel no. room. It's as soon as they agree. Okay, this is let's do this. It's like a handshake. If they get spooked and they change their mind and they don't come to the motel and they drive off, one of my partners would pull them over and it's, write them in the ticket it's still a crime yes it's a ticket it's a misdemeanor is this a misdemeanor anyway when they get arrested it's they usually would not get arrested the only time we would arrest them is if there were something else oh. that yeah. occurred a lot of times if they had warrants that oh, were you do substantial a ru- warrants oh. then they would get arrested but for the most part we would just do ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket did you sur- were they searched to see if they had drugs? Yes, yes weapons? they would. Oh, yes, that's it's pretty standard practice with anybody that you come in contact with is to make sure they have no weapons, to make sure that everybody's safe again. Sure. And then, yeah, we would definitely search them. They're in handcuffs. Yeah, I thought prostitution was legal in Las Vegas. Nope, Outside only of Las in Vegas. outlying oh, areas. Counties. It is mm-hmm. legal. Yes. Oh. Was there ever any? Not. I don't want to be specific. Were you surprised at the? Were you surprised at the clientele, or were they who you expected them to be? They were just regular, average people. They. they I mean, there were a few people that. Uh, one guy, I think, was a little upset because he was gonna afraid he was gonna lose his scholarship at UNLV. He played sports there. I'm, but it's for the most part, yeah, they don't know. They They're don't scared. Know. They're just scared yeah. to death because they've got a lot to lose if yeah. this comes out. Mm-hmm. There were actually funny times when <laughs> they call them sharks because it's like they would you would see the guys that would drive around the block a few times before talking to me. Oh. They would like drive around and drive around. Like they're looking to see if any cops are going to come out of the streets and do anything. Even when I'm inside and we're writing a ticket, we tell the guy when he leaves, you leave, you put this in your pocket, and you leave like you are satisfied. Because we have other guys out there that That are are waiting for her to come back out to work. And they would. I would come back out, and sometimes I would immediately be right back in that room. Oh, 
they would watch. And uh, but you're <laughs> you've got the upper hand with the guy who's now in your room with you. Whatever you tell him to do, he's absolutely going to do because you just scared him half to death. Because if he doesn't and he makes it seem like it's a police operation, then he'll just be arrested and go to jail. Oh, he! Oh my goodness! So he wants to leave. He does want to leave, and he wants to look real happy about he's got it. Got a big <laughs> smile on his face, <laughs> right? Did anyone ever, like, was there any uh, tackling situations? Did anyone really put up a fight? Like, I got to get out of here? Yeah. There was one guy who fought with the officers. In fact, the officers on the street had to come in that time because it was a fight that was going on. And he was a pretty big guy, and he ended up getting his arm broke. By your officers? Yeah. Did he he end up going to jail? Well, he went to the hospital, and he got a ticket. Yeah. He's so exciting. It's very exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting. But, the, you know, the, the the reality of it is we're sitting here thinking, are oh, you putting on a fun, funny platinum wig and you're wearing cool clothes? No. Or so, and that's not it, it, it at all. nothing like that. I would get up. I would put on some grungy clothes. I had this sweatshirt that I always wore because after I put my makeup on to give me a black eye, I would just wipe my hand on my sweatshirt to kind of dirty it up. <laughs> Put on a pair of leggings, throw my hair up, no makeup, no. and go out. And, of course, with my grungy teeth and <laughs> the black eye. Yes. The black eye is killing me right now. It's like, this is what I'm looking for. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That makes me really sad, actually. That's not cool. <laughs> Everyone wants to think that it's Julia Roberts. Right. Just looking beautiful on the side of the road. But that's it, it gets a little dark real quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have done that before. You where have, we've done a reversal a sting in a hotel where I did dress up. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. Like you were waiting in the hotel for someone to come there? We There was a bartender that was tipping off all the girls that the police were in the area. Because our vice guys would go undercover in the hotels to get the girls who were at the bars. Oh, and so this one was to get that bartender because he was hindering, you know, their their work, their investigation. Interesting. And so I dressed up, and he did. He tipped me off, and so we ended up taking him into custody too. He he got a free ride down to the police station. He got a ticket. He just got and a his ticket. His job wasn't really happy. Oh man, I I don't know. I'm I'm a little disappointed. I shouldn't say it. that's not the right word. That it's just a ticket, but it isn't. I what kind of crime do the police see that as? Just a misdemeanor. But it's so it's not not really hurting anybody. It's just that it's illegal. No, and there's so many there's people so that are it. willing to do this. One shift is it's a ten hour shift. We were out there for probably seven to eight hours. <gasps> and 10 people was just a great night. Oh. 10 tickets was an absolute great night because you figure you got to take the time, you got to write the ticket. Yeah. Uh, and then you got to wait for the next John to come. And right. It's just almost, I don't know, it, it seems like in Vegas especially, but I think anywhere in big cities, this kind of stuff goes on so much that it's almost like you're barely scratching the surface of what is out there. 
like what's the point that is like there's 10 of those there's going to be 10 more there's going to be 10 more of those i guess you can't look at it that way you try not to and you always hope that this one person is learning something from it just like a lot of things if you can really change the minds of a right. few people you really hope that you are making a difference because you're getting they don't the- realize that there are a lot of women out there with aids oh, oh my gosh that's probably one of many things that absolutely. you can get absolutely <sighs> so there's an education piece to the yeah. ticket as well right. so you went undercover you're young at this time. This is early in your career. What next for you after that? Well, I was still doing patrol during this time. Like I said, that was all overtime. That was outside of my regular 10-hour patrol shifts. Jeez. So I was still working my patrol shifts regularly mm-hmm. that I did thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> what are, um, not that you can encapsulate a 25 career in a few words, but were there highlights in the patrol shift because you went out we're going to talk about what you went on you were over a great many things that were very important in the city of las vegas but during patrol was there were there a few standout moments i'd like to say i had something super great and mm-hmm. amazing my career was a good career luckily i've never been shot at you never been shot at no i have. did you ever shoot somebody i've never had to shoot That's anybody good. I, I, if i had to i would Right. Absolutely. Did you ever, what about using your gun? Did you have to use your gun ever? Like pull it I out? I pulled it out several times. That was almost pretty standard. When you go to clear a house, you've always got your gun ready in the ready position if you have to. You don't want to have to be fiddling with pulling your gun out. So you want to have it ready. Yeah. That was pretty standard. You always had yourself ready for whatever situation could occur. But I never had to fire it except for training. At the range. Okay, that's good. That is good. That is absolutely good. On a common week, you're doing, you're looking at what robberies, uh, breaking and entering, assault, domestic violence. Is that just kind of standard fare? All the above. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is pretty standard. So, did you continue patrol your entire career, or did you sort of segue from that to other things? I did patrol for about the first half of my career. The second half of my career, I moved into the event planning unit. When I was in patrol, there were two separate times where I was a light duty officer, which means I was not in uniform or in patrol. And during those two times, my captain had asked me to coordinate a program called Every 15 Minutes. And that's a national program, right? That is a national program. And Mm -hmm. that is when I fell in love with the program. And then when the department decided that this program would be a full-time program, they asked if I would do it full-time and move me into the event planning unit, which is where we did events such as concerts, festivals, sporting events like UFC, boxing, conventions, Academy Awards, presidential visits, New Year's Eve, all kinds of all anything of that requires officers for the safety of the event. Mm-hmm. So you would coordinate logistically yes. like where your officers were going to be, how many you would need, what it would entail. Yes. Wow. For the safety of the event, for the safety of pedestrians and ingress and egress of traffic. That's a lot of work. It in was. Vegas. It was. I can barely drive in Vegas. It's a lot. Anyone who's been to Vegas knows, especially because a lot of times you're there for a convention or something like that. The amount of people that that city can hold right. is unbelievable. So I imagine you had 
there was a learning curve that probably went pretty quick. Like you oh, had to absolutely. get up on it. Yeah, absolutely. We would always do after actions after every event to say, what can we do better at the next one? And a lot of our events were annual. So how oh. can we improve this for next year? Sure. You have to do that. Yeah. Otherwise you never learn. Let's talk about the Every 15 Minutes program. It's, it's a program that kind of changed uh, your life or changed the trajectory of your career because you fell in love with it. So hardcore. You were so committed to it. What um, For folks who may not know what, what that is, tell us what it is. Every 15 Minutes is a two-day DUI program that is done in the high schools t- that brings the reality of the tragedies of a drinking and driving incident. And I won't say accident because it's not an accident. Not anymore. Mm. People can get a ride. Right. And it was called every 15 minutes because when the program started in, I believe, the early 80s, every 15 minutes, someone in the United States was dying as a result of a DUI. And that's absolutely absurd. Ridiculous. When I left Metro, the numbers were every 51 minutes. It's improving, but it's still, it will never be good enough when someone makes that choice to drink and get behind the wheel of a car. Right. So you you took this program um, to a level that it was, if you mentioned that you had like a waiting list to get into the high schools because you had so much on your plate as far as that presentation. Like they had to, you had to schedule people out a couple of years. Yes. The yeah. program took me about six months of planning per program. Every school? I mean, every time you did it, it was a six-month plan. I would start six months in advance because it wasn't the only event I was planning. So I had to make sure I had enough time to where I could coordinate every 15 minutes as well as all of the other events. And there were several events, anywhere from 15 to 20 events also on my plate for planning. So it was a lot going on that I had to do. And I did two in the spring and two in the fall at the schools. Oh, what, what did you guys do? At your we schools? Would, we would select, the school would actually select the students for us. They would select 25 to 30 students to participate in this. And we would meet with these kids and we would tell them about the program and we would almost threaten them with secrecy. Oh. We had to because we didn't want all the other kids to know what was going on because it takes away the reality. Even though they knew it was fake, the way that we put it together and did the production, it was so lifelike. And the school is really good. The reason that they pick it is because I think they're picking kids that a lot of other kids know or have relationships with so that when those kids are involved, I know my son was one of those kids. He didn't actually, you know, die, but he was part of it. And it was emotional because kids are invested in those kids' lives and they are kind of, you know, leaders in the in the group, not every single person, but they had a connection to a lot of people usually. And it was, I mean, and they also made the parents give permission to do this because it takes time, but it's also emotionally invested. You're, you've got to emotionally be invested in this and you have to be okay with that. 100%. When I would meet with the parents six months prior to the planning, I would tell them that the there are two requirements for their student to be involved. One is they all have to ride an obituary for their child. And two is they have to be able to agree to receive a verbal in-person death notification from a Metro officer and a chaplain. 
Did you have any parents when you got to that part go, we're not doing this? Absolutely. You did? Yes, absolutely. They couldn't handle it. They were like, I can't do it. There were some, there are some cultures oh. that think that that is taboo. It will, they, yeah. They, they can't do that or it will come true. Mm. It's not a far leap. And I've had parents that say they would do it, but when it came down to actually pen to paper with the obituary, they can't do it. And then I, I, I'm sorry, your child cannot participate in this program. And the reason we do that is because we are trying to create a life-changing experience for everybody. They are getting this experience where they feel all these same emotions that people really do feel. Yeah. There are true victims out there that go through this. But at the end of it, they get to hug their kids again. Right. There I are think so it, many people that just wish, wish that they could only go through this simulation. Did you ever personally see a, a change in a family or a person that you knew of? Because you don't have personal relationships with these people as if they're your neighbors or anything. You, you're sort of on a work basis with the folks that are involved in the the acting portion of that but yes. did you have an opportunity to see any changes in in people ironically enough my very first one oh the very first one i did was in fact at my high school that i graduated from oh. and the young woman who was my flight for life so my flight for life in the scene is alive at the scene flight for life because her injuries are so bad and she dies at the hospital okay and we're all of our filming is done off-site there is a camera at the hospital filming there is a camera at the jail watching the drunk driver get booked and go to sentencing when does that then get shown or is it live piped into the classroom no, it's the next day okay my camera team is up till 4 a.m. putting everything Editing, together yeah. and then we're taking it to the schools by 8 a.m. Oh my goodness. It's a very long process. Mm -hmm. But the young girl, Mandy, who was, so I called, I called the four that are in my program a week before to remind them about everything. This is what it's gonna be like. This is what to expect. And I was talking to the mom because the mom needed to go to the hospital oh that was her role she had to go to the hospital and she would receive her death notification via the doctor who told her her daughter didn't make it and so i was giving her all the details and i says can i talk to mandy so that i can kind of fill her in on some stuff and she says mandy's not here she's living with her friend what and her friend actually happened to be in the program as well too and the mom tells me she hasn't been here for several months we just aren't getting along. It was a single mom mm -hmm. raising Mandy and her younger elementary age daughter. And being a teenager, I think that they just butted heads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I called Mandy and I explained to Mandy about the details I needed to inform her of. And then I talked to her a little bit about her situation with her mom. And she verified what, what I figured was going on. And she says, we're just not getting along. And uh, I felt it was best that I just wasn't with her right now. And it had been several months since they had seen each other. Wow. So the first time the mom saw her daughter yeah. in person was at the hospital oh. with her face all mangled mm. and a sheet being put over her face mm. and the doctor coming into the room and telling her that her daughter died. 
gets me. It, yeah. When the program was over, the second day after the assembly, they squeezed the life out of me. Oh. They came up and they hugged me. And I just, it just made me cry. I just couldn't believe it. The tears were in their eyes. The tears were in my eyes. And they're like, you have no idea what you've done for us. We haven't seen each other in months. And this is never how I want to ever see my daughter. And they they were like, our lives are changed. Our lives are forever, forever changed by this program. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I must do this program. This program cannot go away. It is so impactful. And there are a lot of stories very similar to that. But I think because it was my first program. Yeah. And just the three of us were standing there bawling. It yeah. just made such an impact on me. It was just... My heart's desire for all of the kids in Clark County to see this program. It's such an interesting side. It's a side story. It's not directly related to driving under the influence in any way. It's a side story that you brought the two of them together due to this program. So it's. I'm saying that the, the program has reach beyond just educating about driving under the influence. It, it absolutely has. And... I don't think we talked about this, but the kids that are in the program after the DUI scene, and I'll get a little bit more into it because there's four people in the scene, the drunk driver, the minor injured, which only goes by ambulance, the flight for life, critically injured that dies and deceased at the scene. The deceased at the scene goes to the morgue and they do, oh. uh, they bring the parent in who receives oh. the notification because they identify the body mm -mm. at the coroner's office. Yeah. And there are other students involved which are called the living dead and the living dead students are pulled out of class every 15 minutes to represent the next death that just occurred <gasps> in because the united states and they're pulled out of class so all throughout the day every 15 minutes another student is pulled out of class their obituary is read to the classroom and we have a tomb uh, a cemetery set up in the middle of the schoolyard and every time a new student gets pulled out a, a new tombstone shows up oh. in the middle of this courtyard so as they are passing classes or going to lunch you'll see another tombstone is, is the program still going on in clark county now i believe henderson police department is still doing it and metro is no longer doing it that's sad. Oh, that's sad that is very sad is it, is it because of the resources i think some of it was resources I think some of it is glue and relationships. I had a, I had the heart for that program. I mean, yeah. I, I was a force to be reckoned with. People were going to do this program, and uh, the resources were partners. The people at the hospital, the people at the coroner's office, everybody. They were all resources, and uh, I think things just happened. And they tried to make it work, and it just, it just didn't work. It just didn't work at all. It takes so many. So many departments all working together. I never realized until you are just sitting here telling us that, oh, the morgue's involved too, as well as <laughs> Life Flight, as well as the yeah. hospital, it's, as well as... It's not cheap. No, it's not cheap. I mean, you got to have resources like you mentioned, the hotel. Yeah. you got to coordinate all these rooms, and you just can't have willy-nilly rooms all over the place. Like no. They have to be in the same hallway. Yeah. And I post officers in the hallway. And they're, te and they're teenagers. Because I promised these parents... <laughs> The kids are not Nothing would swapping happen. rooms. Yes. So I got to get extra officers just to sit in the hallway all night long and babysit and hopefully an empty hallway all night long. And I threaten yeah. these kids, if you leave this room, I will call your parent and you will go home. 
Like, we're not playing. No. Homie don't play. No, not at all. Not at all. So that's super exciting. And really, I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. What you just did, right? How many years was that that you did that? 14 years, I believe. 14 years. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. And that was sort of the crown jewel, though, of your, once you got your teeth into that, that was your thing. I I was absolutely 100% in that program because there were so many more stories like my Mandy story. There were so many more. If I can mention one more, I had a family that asked if they could do this and they came to, like they they came came to me. So we had our parent meeting and they asked, they said, our son is in this program, but his older brother, he's out Mm. drinking and driving. And as much as we try to tell him to stop, he does it. We want to do something if you're okay with it. And her son that was in the program happened to be the young boy that was flight for life. So they did not come and watch it at the scene. They got the phone call to go to the hospital. The parents and the older brother. And the, so they, this is what they did. Then they called their older son and said, Joshua's been in an accident. We need to go to the hospital. He didn't know that it was Did a- not know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mom, dad, and the older son went to the hospital. And when they received the notification that he had died, the older brother did not know. That it wasn't that real. That it was not real. We have a trauma intervention specialist with them as well, too, because this, whether it's fake yeah. or real, it's very emotional. It's very traumatic. And wow. it was very traumatic for the older brother until he realized it wasn't real. But the family was like, we do not care. Yeah. This is a message we have to give him that his younger brother died because somebody made the choice to drink and drive and killed his brother. A lot of these kids, like you said, they they don't think about these things. And if something tragic doesn't happen directly to you or someone that you know, you think it's always somebody else's problem. Of course. So it'll never happen to us. Exactly. It's never gonna happen. They brought it into their home. Did were you there? I was not there. Okay. Did you hear back from the parents sort of like what like thank yes thank because you. we have a parent retreat with all of the parents that evening while the students are at the hotel we get all the parents together mm-hmm. and we talk to them about their experiences and all of their experiences with writing the obituary receiving the notification what role they played and what their experience was that day whether they were at the courtroom yeah they were at the hospital and whether they received their notification at work or at home and they listen to an impact speaker as well too someone who they don't realize at first. They think that it's just another parent that's talking about their experience. And as they keep going into the experience, then they, it slaps them in the face and they realize this is a real parent. A parent who lost a child this due to a drunk driver? This is not someone that's a, one of us that gets to hug their kids anymore. This is an actual parent who oh, lost their child. No, no. So that really brings it home with them too that people are mourning. People are victims. Every 15 minutes. Yes every 15 so they were at that retreat yes and they they explained the impact that it had on their son he was angry yeah he was he was angry but Mm -hmm. they they didn't care they wanted to save his life and save the life of everybody else on the road 
No, you re- you reach a point of desperation that thank goodness there are programs like that that you can just shove your kid into and say, "Look, dummy." You know, I think there's I I think that's uh, you got to do what you got to do. I admire those parents yeah. quite frankly because that took guts. They agreed as a family to do that. There's also a few. So you you went through the every 15 minutes. Tell us a little bit about some of the highlights when you were on patrol and things because there's there's a couple pictures I've seen that I just love. One. First of all, there's pictures of people that everyone would recognize that you you had events with. Matt Those Damon. Your yes. event plan. Yes. Events. Mm-hmm. So you had, name a few that people might know where you had to be coordinating those. We did the Electric Daisy Carnival. What's that? The EDC is one of those techno dance. Oh, we're we're too old for that. Strobe lights and the neon things and the fuzzy boots and pasties. Fuzzy boots and pasties. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe we haven't drugs. Ecstasy, big time. Oh yeah. Oh oh Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of drugs, but you're. Are you? Wait. Okay. So let's back up here. (laughs) She wants to get back to the pasties and the (laughs) furry boots. (laughs) Can we please talk about the pasties? (laughs) You're as an event coordinator. You're coordinating the officers. You're not actually uh, policing those events. I was at the events that are my events where I am the lead coordinator on as the event coordinator on site. So I wasn't on a post. Right. I was actually at all the posts walking around, making sure that everything was working well. Is there anything we need to do better? Is there anything that comes up that needs attention that we need to send officers to? That was my role and the role of any event coordinator on any of their events. Sometimes there was a command post. You're in the command post making sure everything's running smooth from that aspect. Okay. Let me just ask you this. You have an event like that. How many officers do you have at that event at one time? Oh, hundreds. At Electric Daisy Carnival? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds and hundreds. Hundreds of them. Yes. I don't even know off the top of my head. I'd have to look at an incident action plan to even remember. But Now, the most recent, the most recent really probably that everyone in the world knows about which is the shooting that happened at, in Las Vegas at the MGM con- Festival lot mm-hmm. at the Route 91 concert that so the, was were you still working <clears throat> in Vegas at the time were you Metro at the time I retired six months prior to that wow everything on that MGM Festival lot was my event oh I so you had done that event before every single Route 91 since the first one oh that my was goodness. there and every other event that was that was my event to where I did it all the time because I knew what needed to get done. Right. I knew the ingress and the egress and the traffic flow and the pedestrian flow and everything. So you kind of owned, once you own something, it was best to keep the same person so you're not reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. So I did it every time. And yes, I would have been there at that one had I not happened to retire. It wasn't really a plan to retire. I, we just talked about it and it just happened. Wow, that is... Fortunate or, I guess, fortunate for you. I know. Do you feel like you should have been there? It's it's a rock and a hard place. I, I When I first heard about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I I want to be there. Like, that's, that's my place. Those I are, should have been there. Those are my people. That's what I need to do how, and help. And then I think, well, I know the guy who ended up getting shot, the officer, and that was injured and then there was another officer attending the concert that was shot and killed and so many people were calling me because they knew that it was my event and either they were there or their family was there and I wanted to be there and then I started thinking about it all of the devastation 
there's a lot of people that I know of that I've still talked to that are still having a hard time dealing with the memories. The stories that I heard from my coworkers that were there is is devastating. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. And I would not wish that upon anybody. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Just seeing the things that they saw yeah. is just heartbreaking. And there's no way to sort of like prepare yourself for something like that because you're handling whatever's happening on the ground and that sort of there's always going to be that hole where a person who means to do bad will get through and and do bad right absolutely he was going to do it this was not his first planning of it he was going to do this and this is where it ended up happening yeah and having said that the amount of events that you that you planned and coordinated anywhere from new year's eve to to events like this in the city of las vegas most of them go off without a hitch absolutely and there's some things that happen in the background but the way i see it i'm behind the scenes i'm doing everything to make everything in front of the curtain look good right and if there's a glitch here and a glitch there as long as nobody knows or nobody sees it (laughs) i'll take on the heat of the stress of making sure that everything gets done the way that it's supposed to and fix all of those things that don't go right as long as it looks good everybody right. that sees the event yeah everyone who's attending is having a good time yes that's all that matters one of the things that i loved hearing about was that you were on horseback for a while <laughs> i don't know why i just love horses it's pretty cool though <laughs> it's really cool it's like i love cool. horses anyway but i would love to see i mean tell us a little bit about how that ended up happening and how you got involved with that the horse patrol was really just kind of on the side. I didn't do it full time. I went through the two different training courses that they had on it. And so I rode with them occasionally every once in a while. It was really, it was really cool. It Why was. did you want to, you kind of vol- volunteered yourself to go I through did. the training. I did. Instead of doing a shift at my regular day work i would do my 10 hours on the horse instead Mm. so it was really cool i mean i love animals and i love the horses and they're really cool they can be very stubborn sometimes like i think i'm doing the right movement with my foot to get them to do what they're they're like yeah no not going to happen and yep you're they're like "Mm, not right now maybe later (laughs) (laughs) and you're not going to negotiate with a horse no i'm not i can try as hard as i want and for the most part it's the connection between you and the horse too there there's officers that are in the unit full-time and they have that really great connection and that bond what is the what is the advantage of being on horseback in a situation like that they're very intimidating so Mm -hmm. were you at like a a, a, like a party situation or a festival situation where you were on the horse or where would you take we would use them at concerts and outside events if it was safe to use them where events were spread out we use them at some rugby events out at our unlv stadium because there was a lot of crowds so they would just be visible most of it was just be visible but if at the end of the night you had crowds that jumped out onto the field or you had issues then Mm. they're there for crowd control because the butt of a horse doesn't feel good when it hits you (laughs) to get you to move Nor does the hoof of a horse, I presume. <laughs> right. So they're they're very big, very intimidating, and then you got a police officer sitting on their back telling yeah. you. So what you're up to high do. too, yes. so you can really see the landscape of what you got to deal with, and you can get to them a lot faster than obviously an officer on foot. Sure, sure. You got a horse. So fun. I'm Did you ride the same horse? Not always. It was a different. Not always. Yeah. I think there was 
three different horses that I had I had been on. Did you ride horses before you ever did that? Or nope. is it, I know I <gasps> had to, that was your first horsey experience. It was not my first experience. When I was little, my mom had a horse. Yeah, but you but I was a little, horse person. and I've been on a horse before, but not but like this. I, I was not ten hours a day is a different story. I was not that <laughs> great. Like horses can be intimidating, and yeah. they know they know that. Yes, right. So they sense it. We had to really learn how to be in charge. Sure. Oh my gosh. You got to let them know who's boss. Yeah. Are that, these older horses, or is the, are these young? No, they're older horses. They're mm-hmm. a lot more docile, mm-hmm. and they're trained. To be able to hear gunshots, okay, mm-hmm. and yeah. loud noises, not get spooked. New Year's Eve, loud noises have to things flying in the air sometimes spooks a horse, and they have to be okay with a lot of stimulation around them. Did you use the horse? I don't know brigade. What's it called? <laughs> the people who are on the horses. <laughs> The officers who are on the horses, did you kind of call them in for your events? Some of them. Uh Some of them, the outside events where there were going to be large crowds. Yeah. 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 The intimidation factor. Seriously, you bring a horse out with a cop on top. Everyone moves. Everyone's going to move. Everyone moves. Even the cops. Even the cops are like, I'm out of here. Forget it. That's awesome. What is some of the most memorable times that you can think of? Is there any times where you can think of like, this was a funny experience or this was a you know, scary experience? Is there anything that you can think of that stands out to you as like top 10 for <laughs> some of the things that you've experienced while being a police officer? Whether it was on horse, whether it was when you were in patrol, whether it was undercover, it doesn't matter. When we were on horseback one time, we were stopping what we thought was a drug deal. And so we walked up to these guys and one of them ran. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, well, we're just going to chase you. And <laughs> on the horse? I, yeah. Oh, and yeah. we did. And it was Giddy super up. fun. And then we ended up under like this, it's like a shopping area where you walk, where you're, it's at nighttime. So there's nobody there, but you're, the horses are running through the front of these shops and they have these low hanging shop signs and i just remember at the last second i looked up and there's this sign of oh. this shop and i was like oh my gosh it's like coming at my head oh no 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 duck <laughs> i have a helmet on thank goodness but i still know that that would have hurt really bad you ducked. so i had to duck my head exactly. and i was like oh, these are just things i just normally don't think, think about, about yeah. until i see this sign coming at did my you head. catch him we did not. Oh, you didn't catch the guy? No, we did not. He ran into a hotel parking lot and we lost him. You needed the, the dogs. Cars. You needed a dog. The dog would have got him. Oh, when when they send out the dogs, that's when I get excited. <laughs> when I see those dogs going, I'm like, oh. Mm. You never worked with the canine unit, did you? I did. Oh, what? <gasps> Kelly. I did. I, well, you know, I only worked with them for training because I thought, how cool would this be? I know. To be a canine officer. So we do an agitator course where we learn to put on the bite suit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. And Ooh. I'm glad I did that experience because I realized I did not want to work with the dogs. Oh. Because there was one time when I had the bite suit on and you're like a dummy walking around with yeah. your arms out and it's huge on me. Right. And so the dog came up and they're just, you know, they bite the suit somewhere on the leg or the arm and you just kind of fight around with them and yeah. they hold on. Well... These dogs are super powerful. And I fell to the ground <gasps> and the dog started to scalp me. <laughs> Bit is, your head? He is he's pulling my of... hair with his teeth. And I'm like, he's pulling my hair. Can you get him off me? He's not biting the suit. Oh. 
he's biting my hair and i was like yeah this is oh my that's this an is intensity not fun anymore this is an intensity that you have to really I, I know people who have the canines that are police officers with that and it's a commitment because they go home with you and everything they do they're a part of your family. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't get over it though. Didn't you have on like the helmet, the hazmat helmet with the No, I, I was trying to be like a turtle and duck my head down in the suit the best I could, but it just wasn't That's happening. why I get excited oh. when I see on cops and stuff and they send the dogs after them. Because that guy, who, who's dumb enough to start running? Right. They're like, we're going to send the dogs out and he keeps going. <laughs> he keeps running. I was be like, okay. No one needs to send the dogs out. <laughs> I have seen what can happen. Do you watch shows like that? I watch shows all the time where there's a reporter doing a live shot on the side of the freeway. I'm like, that's wrong. Do you watch right. those cop <laughs> shows? Do you watch any of those shows that aren't necessarily like real cops? But do you watch any of those shows and just go, please? This I is have. not. This I is... have. And then it got to the point where my kids are like, mom, you don't have to keep telling us. You're that's not how it. they would normally do And my PD Blue isn't exactly the way it is. I have not even seen Your that. Your boss didn't look like Tom Selleck. <laughs> She's shaking her no, head. He no, he didn't, but I wouldn't mind if he did. No, no one would mind. <laughs> so you started off your career in Metro as a single single cop lady. Yes. You soon met your husband, or how soon into your career did you meet your husband? I met him within my first year outside of the academy. And he was already established as a, as a cop, or was he new He was. Too? He was uh, two years ahead of me. Okay. And we were working at the same station, different squads. So we would run into each other. We had a common day of work. Okay. So that common day, we would sometimes end up on a call together. We'd see each other in briefing and debriefing. But... Well, you're like, oh, he's cute. He was married. Oh, yes. And then you didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> we were friends. We were friends and we were coworkers. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> we're all feeling awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't he know. He wasn't single. <laughs> so the answer is no. The answer is no. So you truly started out as co-workers and, and just friends yes. from the beginning. Yes. yes. Yeah. We were. And I think we worked together for maybe about a year. And then he left. He transferred to Laughlin. And Ooh, worked, where everything goes down. Worked Laughlin and Searchlight for, I don't know, a couple years. Mm. And then ended up in narcotics and was a narcotic officer mm. for a couple of years. Out there in those, in Searchlight no, and Laughlin. No, I'm sorry. He transferred to narcotics back into. Oh, he came back, back to Metro. Metro. Back within um, Las Vegas. Oh. Some annual, he was doing some annual training and coming out to the substations and doing it for the officers during briefing. And after briefing we just started talking and catching up and I had learned that he had been divorced for a couple of years and he was enjoying narcotics and I was still on patrol and we just started talking mm -hmm. is it frowned upon for people in the same department to date no it's they don't care so many uh, is there to. so many married couples <clears throat> dating couples is it is it something almost like this isn't even the same, but like when actors date actors because they understand where they're coming from, is it? It's the same kind of thing for police officers that you guys get each other. You understand that what the you pressure. go through, the pressure. There is that connection of understanding why your significant other calls you and says, "I'm, I'm still on a stakeout. I'm not coming home," or um, I'm at the jail and the booking is going to take a lot longer than I expected and they understand. And or when, when they come home and, yeah. in the middle of the night, you got to leave. 
Yeah. There's that understanding. But it seemed, what an intense relationship though. You're both, I know you both, and you're both type A. Is that, is that a, that, is that a good thing? <laughs> like, is that what it tra- kind of attracted you to each other? Depends on the day that you're asking. <laughs> day, day, time, and situation. No, I get it. I mean, but but it does seem like um, you'd you'd want someone to understand, but maybe not have that same. You're both wired very much the same, you yes. and your husband. Yes, and that, but that works. It works for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when we're battling each other, right? Because that's who we are, right? But it works for us and mm-hmm. we know where the lines are we know how to connect with each other and when he comes home and i say how was your day he can tell me about his day yeah. because i understand what he's saying and he doesn't have to explain everything or hide little details that might make me nervous right yeah because you've seen it done it been there you're like no i get it and chances are i might already have heard about it that's true what's a takeaway for the general public for police officers when you see a police officer you're you're seeing the uniform but that's not who they are that's their job and they're going to do their job to the best of their ability but outside of that uniform they are a husband a wife a parent a grandparent they have hobbies they do stuff outside of law enforcement they take their kids to the park they're just everyday people and that's going back they shouldn't be judged by their uniform or by the deeds of somebody who is not doing it the right way absolutely absolutely there are people that love and care for them and they have a purpose they have a life outside of their career that is something very special so i just i have to say hats off because really we need people like you and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful you were willing to do that as a wife and a mom. You were out there making a difference. So thank you. You're welcome. And I appreciate that people recognize that officers are necessary. And I definitely applaud all the people that are willing to do this job because it is not easy. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to know that you can handle any situation, whether it's a violent situation, a sad situation, or just an everyday, nothing great in the news is happening today. That's right. a good day. Right. No oh, news is good news. Right. Those are good days. You you said you retired after 25 years. Was there, was there a specific reason or it was just sort of a time, this is the time I set for myself and now I'm retiring? It, there was no specific reason. Mm-hmm. I had had a great career and I loved it. And my husband was promoting. And one of the things that we decided for our family is, which was good because I didn't want to promote, is that he promotes and he gets all the crazy wacky schedules because every time you get a new assignment, you're working graveyard again. Oh, and is that right? You're <laughs> working different days off. And so he did all of that and I tried to maintain some, I tried to maintain a regular schedule for the sake of our family so that I could take care of the kids when he was working graveyard. And we had to balance our two schedules. And that's what we did, it worked for us. And then our kids were just, they were so busy, absolutely so busy. And he was getting ready to promote again. And we just started talking about it. And he thought, you know, 
you've got the time to retire and I'm getting ready to promote again. What what I'm going to make is going to make up for what you lose. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for our kids. This is a really good time for you to be there full time for them. And we just did it. How old were your kids when you retired? Twelve. My kids were 12 and 14 when I retired. Oh, so you were, oh, you were working well into your kids, you know, raising your kids too. That is complicated. Oh. It was. So complicated. It was, especially when I had a lot of events. And I worked a lot of overtime for the events that I coordinated. Yeah. We had some good family and friend support. Yes. Until our kids were old enough that they could, right. thankfully, they were responsible enough to manage themselves for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do any of your kids want to go into the business? No. They've, they've, they have had, they've had enough. They have. They've had enough. I'm okay with that, yeah. especially with the way things are going Absolutely. right now. I think I would be very nervous. Yeah, right. So we ask, as you know, all of our guests to give us a takeaway gift or a tag that you can leave with our us and our studio audience. We don't have a studio, do we? Just the audience. Uh-huh. We're in the studio and there's no one here. <laughs> no one but the three of us. Take a pause in the background. All I was Ooh. thinking, I was like on like... <laughs> This is the price Jimmy is Kimmel right. or something. I don't know. <laughs> just our just our podcast audience. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can think of? Do you have a takeaway gift? I would say whatever you do in life, go all in. I was 100% when I said I was going to do the academy. It was hard, but I was all in. I, I knew I had to do it to get to the career that I wanted. The Every 15 minutes had my heart. I was hundred percent into that I loved I loved my event coordinating I wanted to do it to the best of my ability and then once I got married and I had kids honestly that became my number one all-in my family yep and the results um we know we know your family you know your kids yep. I kind of am like choking up a little bit they are the loveliest children I've ever they met. are very Aww. sweet boys. And they're yeah. not children they're yeah men now but they are absolutely stellar so all in is um she's not kidding around when she and it's that. a good thing right mm-hmm. being all in i mean you have no regrets i have no regrets i mean that's that's the beautiful thing about being all in absolutely you can literally say i've done my best i have i have and a lot of it isn't even on me you know god leads the way for all exactly. of us and a lot of credit goes to him. She's all in also on the craft situation. She showed me some things. I'm just going to say I am looking to maybe get some of those, you know, spoon things. With the <laughs> spoon I'm a bit of a hobbyist now. DIYer. YouTube is my She friend. does a great oh, job, too. I'm just saying. The most beautiful things. Do you have an Etsy page? No, oh, okay. Because we were going to link it. I don't. We'll do just that we'll much. just put some of your stuff on the Instagram we'll page because some, it's so we'll also cool. Also, put some really cool pictures of her that we didn't even have time to talk about. But some of the people that she was doing coordination for their events. Yeah, there was some fun. Matt Damon, my favorite. He was so nice. Oh, really? He I was think so. I bet he would be so kind. So he's nice. So cute. Too. Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, he's pretty badass. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> There's a lot of fun so things. We stars. could talk and talk and talk. Well, next time I come, let's do it again. Okay. Oh. I don't know how much more I have to offer, but oh, we'll get it out of you, Kelly. <laughs> That's been uh, Two Average Girls for this Tuesday. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow. Also, follow us on Instagram, Two Average Girls Podcast. And tell your friends. 
send them in a link so that they can t- listen and have fun with us. That's right. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. Aloha. I'm Ann Police. I'm Denise Cooper. We're Two Average Girls.